So Money episode 409, Jay Fleischman, student loan attorney. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey everyone, welcome to So Money. Thanks for joining. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thursday. Thursday is my favorite day of the work week. For some reason, I don't know why. I think it's because ever since college, Thursday was kind of the unofficial end of the week. Thursday nights, we always went out. And also, Thursday nights in the Tarabi Dusinger household is date night. So maybe that's kind of why I'm so excited for Thursdays. Fridays are good too, because obviously it's Friday, but I don't know. There's something about Thursdays. Anyone else here relate to this? And of course, because it's the day after Wednesday, when Follow the Leader on CNBC airs, I get to hear everyone's feedback from the show. What'd you think of last night's episode with Katya Beecham, CEO of Birchbox? It's a tough time to be the CEO of Birchbox. Gotta say, you know, the company's going through some growing pains, rerouting their business plan a little bit, you know, where once they were really just excited about people signing up for their subscription, $10 a month. But really the goal is to get those subscribers to buy the full-size products at birchbox.com, which the biggest competitor to that is inertia, you know, because we're used to buying beauty products over the counter, drugstores, um, this idea of buying it online, it's still foreign to us. So they're trying to change human behavior. And if you missed any of last night's episode, you can go to followtheleader.cnbcprime.com and watch the full episode there for free. And we have all the rest there as well. Today's guest by popular demand is a student loan attorney. You know, I first heard about Jay Fleischman when I was on set at, on Follow the Leader and I was talking to my executive producer, Lisa, who, uh, along with her sister, have, you know, a lot of student loan debt from grad school. And she said, you know, my sister just got off the phone with this lawyer named Jay Fleischman and apparently he's going to help her with her student loans. And I'm sitting there thinking, how? You know, how is he really helping her? Because I didn't realize that an attorney could really help you unless, of course, maybe you're going through bankruptcy. And even then it's impossible, nearly impossible to have your loans eradicated in a bankruptcy. So I had to get in touch with Mr. Fleischman. I wanted to learn what does he do? How does he help people? And is there really hope for the millions of Americans out there that have student loan debt? I mean, the average student loan debt upon graduating from undergrad is around 30, 35 grand. Student loan debt has reached over a billion dollars more than credit card debt in this country on as a total. It's a big problem. And so people like Jay Fleischman, uh, hopefully they're, they're growing in numbers because unfortunately we need a lot of help in this area. And so a little bit more about Jay. You know, he has been working as a consumer protection attorney for over 20 years. And most recently, he focused on helping people with student loan problems. He is a partner with a law firm, Shave and Fleischman, and practices in both New York and California. He's been in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post, Fox News. He also has a weekly podcast called The Student Loan Show. And on that podcast, he breaks down the complex world of student loans, consumer debt and so that people can take control of their situation. So with Jay, I wanted to learn, first of all, how big is this problem and what are the most common issues his clients come to him with? 
What if you have a private loan? You know, we know that there are some federal programs that can assist those federal loan borrowers, namely income-based repayment. But what if you have a private loan? What is your best bet then if you cannot pay back that loan? Advice for parents who are thinking about or are currently co-signing a loan with their child and some free resources. So before you go and hire an attorney to help you, what are some free ways that you can learn how to get out of your debacle? Here we go. Here's Jay Fleischman. Jay Fleischman, welcome to So Money. Should have had you on like back in January when we did a whole week dedicated to student loans and college. Better late than never. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Farnoosh. So you're a student loan lawyer and you you started practicing law, helping consumers specifically. And and more recently, your your work has shifted towards those of us who feel optionless with our student loan debt. Tell me a little about the marketplace right now. How busy are you? How big is this problem? And then we'll get into some of the solutions. But kind of tell me a little bit about your work and, and how you're helping people. Well, I started out as a consumer bankruptcy attorney. I like to tell people that I grew up as a consumer bankruptcy lawyer, though not quite that long. And for years, people would call me up and they would tell me that they were having problems with their student loans. And for a long time, I defaulted to uh, what most bankruptcy lawyers will say, which is, well, I can't really help you. Um, student loans are very difficult to to handle in bankruptcies. And so I would, I would send people away. And at some point, it became so overwhelming, the volume of calls that I was getting from people who were specifically and solely dealing with student debt, that I figured that it was time to start educating myself and to to start really diving into some of the ways that people could handle their student loan problems to the extent that at this point, it comprises 98% of my work and, and talking about how busy I am. I, I've been, I've been a bankruptcy lawyer and, and an attorney for a little over 20 years now. And I have never been this busy in my professional life ever, bar none. Um, the problem is so overwhelming for so many people and it cuts across ages, genders, uh, racial lines, demographics of all sorts that uh, it it is absolutely amazing. And I'm so happy that people are starting to talk about it uh, because I think that when you start talking about it, that's what begins to drive people to, to think about solutions. Is there a misconception people have when it comes to paying off your student loans? We talk a lot about how it's nearly impossible to erase these in a bankruptcy ruling that, um, that while we call student loans good debt, they can become rapidly ugly debt because if you ignore them or you're late, uh, they can come and they can, you can have your, um, your wages withheld or your taxes refund withheld. What are some of the myths maybe out there that are keeping people from getting the help that they need? There are a number of myths. The the biggest myth out there is that there is nothing that you can do about student loans. Everybody says that there are two things that are foregone conclusions. Those are death and taxes. And what a lot of people think is that student loans are the third thing that you can never do anything about. But the reality is that uh, particularly with federal student loans, there are so many options that the government makes available for bringing your payments in line, 
for setting yourself up for a long-term forgiveness of your student loans after a period of payment um, and really being able to make your student your student loan payments fall in line with your financial circumstances. Because so many people don't know about those options, what, what invariably happens is they throw their hands up and they just hope that they're going to go away. And of course, when you ignore a problem, it gets far worse. Um, on the private student loan side, a lot of people think that they are treated exactly like federal loans but that's just not the case. Student loans, I tell my clients that the only time that it matters that it's a student loan is when you're talking about bankruptcy. Outside of bankruptcy, a student loan is treated exactly the same way as any other bank loan or any credit card debt. It is a general unsecured consumer type debt. Uh, collections run exactly the same way as, as any other any other standard debt that you would think about. Well, Private versus public when it comes to student loans, different ramifications. And a lot of the trouble lies with the private loans because they don't have like the government had. They don't have income based repayment at, you know, the the private institutions. What are some solutions or strategies for those of us carrying private student loan debt that we may not know so much about that you're educating your clients on? Well, the first thing is, as you said, there are no repayment option. So when it comes to private student loans, the issue is pay or don't pay. And if you're in a position to pay, that's fantastic. And you undoubtedly don't need my help. But if you can't pay, then it comes down to understanding what the collection process is all about um, and how that's going to work. Because interest is going to continue to accrue, but the debt will be charged off. You will go into default and you will be sent to collections. There are ways to be able to work with debt collectors to first reduce the amount of pressure that they put on you. You can manage the way that a debt collector engages in their debt collection activities. You can stop the phone calls. You can stop the letters. You can um, you can stop them from calling you at work if you're unable to take private calls at work. You can do those things. And so you can bring that pressure down. Beyond that, private student loans, as opposed to federal student loans, private student loans tend to settle fairly well for consumers. Um, because there are no federal protections and there are no federal, there are no guarantees on repayment from the lender side. A lot of the private student loan lenders, once you are in default, will work with you aggressively to, to bring down your balance, to bring down your payments, um, and really to help you make those manageable as well. And at that point, if you're in default, your credit's already shot. So at that point, why not just go the full, the full distance and work with them into settling? Because we should mention to listeners, you know, when you settle any kind of debt, um, where you're paying maybe 50 cents on the dollar or you're, um, not refinancing, you're settling, that does have consequences for your credit. But I guess if your student loans are keeping you up at night and you're considering, uh, and you're, and it's making you depressed and I think, you know, better to just take the offer. What do you think about that? I mean, it's like hard rock. It's like rock hard place. What do you do? <laughs> exactly. It's when you go past you on a debt, as you said, your credit's going to be shot anyway. It is better for your credit in the long term and better for your personal financial position in the long term 
to be at a zero balance than it is to have the debt continuing to drag you down. So debt settlement is not perfect. It is, I think, one of the last options that you want to look at. But if you're between that rock and a hard place, you'd rather be able to put yourself in a position where you can make yourself more financially stable, bring your balance to zero and be able to move forward with it um, as opposed to just having the shackles around your ankles. And so what are some of the innovative ways you're working with clients uh, right now that that are you able to erase some people's debt in some cases? And if you are, who, what are those cases like? Well, for federal student loans, as some people are aware, there are a number of ways to be able to erase the debt. Um, the The big one is public service loan forgiveness. If you're working for a government organization or a not-for-profit and you make your payments for a period of 120 months while you're employed full-time, the government will allow you to erase the unpaid balance at the end of that 120 months tax-free. So that is an absolute forgiveness. That's not, um, that's not the same thing as a discharge of indebtedness, which you would get at the end of say, say, uh, income based repayment or one of the other, uh, income dependent repayment options where you get a 1099 at the end and you may potentially have a tax implication there. Um, so for federal student loans, you've got private, uh, you've got public service loan forgiveness. You've got getting into one of the income dependent repayment options. You've got disability discharge, which the government is thankfully now starting to take a more proactive approach towards. Um, the government about a week and a half ago, as we record this, came out with, um, came out with a new policy where if you are totally and permanently disabled under the Social Security Administration's guidelines, the Department of Education is going to be getting in touch with borrowers to advise them that this discharge opportunity may exist for them and give them that opportunity because so many people don't know about it. Um, there are also discharge opportunities if your school closes. Um, if you're at a for-profit school that is closed, such as Corinthian colleges that went under in 2015, right. there's something called defense to repayment that the government's mm-hmm. currently in negotiated rulemaking about to see how that may be able to be extended in the event that you're at a school that defrauded you. Um, so there are those opportunities. In a private student loan setting, what a lot of people don't realize is private student loans are not bought and sold the same way that credit cards are. Credit cards are, are routinely bought and sold for the proverbial pennies on the dollar. Private student loans are not. Private student loans are securitized in the same way that mortgages are securitized. They're bundled Which is together. Scary. Which is it's, kind of scary. It's way scary. Well, when you think about what brought down the economy, those <laughs> mortgage-backed securities, there are student loan-backed securities too. And if people are defaulting on them, I don't know. That's another podcast. But Jay, you must you must be tra- you must be having like night shivers around. That. It 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 is it is. Bananas. And you're contributing to the problem, Jay. No, it's all my fault. It's it all is all fault. my fault. <laughs> You're settling it's, all these debts. It, oh, it's man. terrible. But it it the problem there is that when the loans are securitized, bundled together and, and sold off in bits and pieces to investment trusts, what happens there is the um the accounting is so bad, it it is it is nearly impossible to determine 
how much money you actually owe. And so many borrowers are just taking everything at face value. Beyond that, um, there is uh, one of the one of the major securitized trusts, a company called National Collegiate Student Loan Trust that a lot of people get sued by um, for when the trusts were originally put together, there were guarantee there were guarantee insurance policies put in place. So what would happen is if you went into default and the loan was sold off to the guarantee company, the guarantee company had to give you the opportunity to rehabilitate your loan, which doesn't exist in private student loans normally. But these guarantee policies specifically gave the borrower the ability to rehabilitate the loan and bring it back into active repayment, just like federal student loans. Unfortunately, the guarantee insurance company went out of business, filed for bankruptcy, and jettisoned all of their insurance policies. So all of those loans have the opportunity to rehabilitate, but none of the borrowers are being offered that opportunity. So that that creates a problem for the lender and really it creates an advantage for the borrower. So there there are all of these things that only after you've taken a really deep dive mm-hmm. into SEC documents, which I'm sure you know how exciting that it can be. Oh, I do that um, in my spare time all the time. I'm doing it right now. I, exactly, exactly. Um, um, that's why we pay you, know, you the big bucks. It's it's like Huffington Post, you know. You you read it all the time, right? Um, but it so so those are some of the things that I look at when somebody comes to me with a private student loan problem, and it's a really great way for the borrower to gain some leverage against a lender that they normally wouldn't have. And okay, let's just get it out there. How much does it cost for someone to work with an attorney like you? Um, these are clients who are obviously coming to you with financial problems. They're not mm-hmm. rolling in the dough. So how do you make it affordable? For federal student loans, I am of the mind that a borrower should never pay for a solution. A borrower should pay for advice and information, but there are a lot of companies that will charge people uh, $1,500 to do a federal student loan consolidation, which is free. You you can do it yeah. for free online. So I don't do that. I will charge a very modest amount of money to do an analysis of a borrower situation. And we do it typically by phone and by email combined. We do phone as well as email because they've got to get me documents. I review everything with them and I give them a roadmap of what they need to do. I give them the forms that they're going to need to fill out. I give them the procedures, the checklist. I tell them everything that they need to do because it makes it far more cost effective for them as opposed to having to worry about uh, spending $1,500 for consolidation or $500 to get into an income dependent repayment option. Um, I I just think that that's the best way for people to to go about it. Um, with respect to private student loans, a lot of that, a lot of that is based upon what I need to do. If somebody's only in collections, I say only in collections, but they're they're not actually being sued. What I'll typically do is I will tell them what they need to do. I will work with them through the process because it is. In the event that a debt collector steps over the line and violates the, its uh, set of federal laws, it's called the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. There are also a variety of state-based laws that mirror it. But 
those laws govern how debt collection can take place. In the event that a debt collector steps over that line, the consumer, the borrower here, has the right to file a lawsuit against the debt collector and recover not only damages, but also their legal fees. So if that happens, I'm getting paid by the debt collector. So it's effectively free for the borrower, or at least no money up front. Um, in litigation, if they're being sued, typically that's going to be a flat fee. Uh, we do our best to keep it as low as possible, and we can do that because of the efficiencies that we've got in place. We We've been doing this for quite some time and we do it on a regular basis. So we try our best to make it as easy as we can for people. And your website has a lot of resources. So before picking up the phone or emailing Jay, you could probably learn a lot on your own at consumerhelpcentral.com. You've got podcasts, Mm -hmm. you have articles. Um, What about parents who are co-signers with their their young adult children on student loans? Um, What's your advice to parents who may also be worried about this this bill? I think that they need to be able to have a conversation with their children or in a lot of cases, it's not even grandparents, by the way. It's a lot of grand, it's, it's a lot of grandparents, not just parents rather. Um, so we see a lot of grandma and grandpa are in their eighties and they co-sign for this, for the private student loan, um, far more so than parents actually. So, um, what I like to tell people to do is if at all possible, have that conversation before signing for the loan. Figure out with the student what's going to happen after graduation if things don't work out as well as they all hope that it's going to work out because the financial realities are significantly different than the optimism that we go into college facing. Um, If the loan is already in play, the guarantor or cosigner really needs to do everything that they can do to make the payments and stay on top of the borrower, the student, to make their payments, even if it means, and and ideally what's going to happen is the student's going to go into an income-dependent repayment option for their federal student loans, hopefully to free up some money to be able to pay those private loans. Because if the private student loan goes into default, the guarantor or cosigner is 100% mm-hmm. on the hook along with the borrower. So there's a lot of financial uh conversation that yes. needs to occur. And you're doing, you're taking on these loans when you're 18 years old, 19 years old, you might have never had a job yet. You don't even know what taxes are. And so mm-hmm. to, it's, it's a huge, huge financial engagement. And I think that they're just, uh, for whatever reason, there's really not a lot of education around this and you have to make the decision quite soon, right? Cause college happens right after high school. Um, we're, sure. you've got your ear to the ground so closely, Jay. I'm curious to, to know if you think there's any sea change that's happening or it has to happen, whether it's, um, colleges have to find ways to become more affordable or private institutions cannot be so, um, f- so quick to give the thirty thousand, hundred thousand dollars in in loans to someone who has no credit history, who's eighteen years old. I think that's a problem. Um, what's going to have to change because we cannot continue the status quo? No, absolutely. I think that colleges need to be held more accountable for their overhead. I think that over the period of the last ten, fifteen years, you see 
even my school, I went to, to a state school in New York. And when I went to school, my student union and, and my, uh, my meal plans, uh, they were not great. You know, we, we ate, we ate whatever they fed us and it was definitely not high end stuff. I went back to my campus a year and a half ago and I'm telling you, this place is decked out because the schools aren't held accountable to their overhead. And so there's a race to the top. People go to tour campuses and now they're not just looking for the best education, but they're being lured by the nicest facilities, the most luxurious dorms, the highest end food. Uh, They're being lured by the things that the the campuses aren't being held accountable to anybody. So every campus looks and says, well, we need to attract the best and the brightest. So we're going to spend as much money. And there's so much money in the market, federal as well as private, that it's readily available to everybody. It's just sign on the dotted line. Um, so I think that there has to be that accountability. I don't think that education, I've got a young child, and I don't think that when my child reaches college age, that higher education is going to look remotely the same way as it does now. I think that there's probably going to be a lot of consolidation in just normal not-for-profit as we consider old line uh, four-year universities. I think that there's going to be a greater emphasis on two-year colleges. And I think that technology is going to be leveraged even more than it is being leveraged now to deliver education in alternative ways. And we're already seeing it. The growth in online education is tremendous um, for, for professionals like you and I. But I think that at the college level, we're going to start seeing that really take on a life of its own. So what's your hope for him when he goes to college? Oh, my hope for him is that he learns how to... Uh, my hope for him is that he learns how to be a plumber or an electrician or a carpenter really? or a contractor. Not a lawyer. Yeah, because like his dad. Uh, well, uh, no. Well, I, he, he certainly can. I'm not going to dissuade him from it. And, and I'm not necessarily going to point him in one of those other directions. But I always say that because there's always going to be a need for somebody to build a house or repair my electrical system or unclog my pipes. And there's always going to be a need for certain things in this, in, in this society. And I think that it's incumbent on every child and every parent to be able to sit down and say, okay, well, where is there a need? Where's there a long-term career path? Because if we're going to invest six figures in school, we need to have some understanding of where we're going with this. What's what's the goal of education? Right. Um, and I'm certainly not downplaying uh, going to school and, and taking English lit classes or, or philosophy or sociology, because I think that that's important to the way that we function as a society. But I don't think that that should necessarily drive your decision of what college to go to. This is something that you need to have a return on investment for. And if you don't, then maybe you need to look in another direction or don't go directly to college at 18. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of kids who are looking at gap years, which I understand is fairly big in Europe. There's a reason for it. You don't know what you want to be when you're 18 years old. No, you don't even know. It's it's constantly evolving if you're a human being. Sure. And, And, And 
you were talking earlier, we talked earlier about what needs to change. And I think this is another change that's happening is people, students are, are opening up uh, their minds to the possibilities that are, are beyond just traditionally like going to college right after high school to a four-year school and taking out the loans. There's other ways. And I think the world is adapting and uh, understanding what's happening and will appreciate that maybe you took a different course. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, you've got you've got so much competition to get into even mid-level schools at this point that more and more admissions officers are looking at they're looking at your application in the same way that an employer is looking at a resume. What have you done so far? Where are your interests? Why is this a good fit for you? Um, and I think that as kids open up their minds to the other opportunities that exist, I think that they're going to find better fits for themselves in colleges, they're going to find better fits for themselves long term. And you're going to see fewer people getting to their mid 40s and looking back and saying, oh, my gosh, I made a terrible, terrible career move and I can't get out of it now. Um, So I think that ultimately it's better for the individual. And I think that it's better for us as a society. So, Jay, we have a few minutes left. What is maybe your biggest piece of advice for a student loan borrower right now who just feels trapped? financially trapped? The best advice is to look at what loans you have. Look at your federal loans and your private loans and sit down and determine what it is that you can do to bring those costs down. Look at your federal loans and investigate your income-dependent repayment options. Investigate what you can be doing perhaps as a career move that may put you in a better position. Determine whether or not there's a better employment situation for you. Maybe going into public service and taking a 10% hit on your income in exchange for getting rid of six figures worth of debt a little bit down the road, maybe that makes some sense and maybe that also affords you a better quality of life. With respect to the private student loans, I think you need to be able to sit down and start having those financial conversations with yourself as well as with people around you and professionals who may be able to point you in a better direction in terms of bringing down your expenses and establishing a better budget for yourself to enable you to make those payments more easily. Yeah. You cannot go through this alone. So, and I know this is a very emotional and sometimes embarrassing financial aspect of our lives that, oh my gosh, I can't believe I took out all this debt and I I don't, I don't make enough to support this, but just know that you are not alone. You know, credit card debt is now second to student loan debt in terms of the volume out there. So you're definitely not alone. Jay, I thank you for the great work that you do. If you are interested in learning more about Jay and getting the help that you need, definitely check out consumerhelpcentral.com. Not to inundate you more, Jay, with more, <laughs> with more, but hey, um, sorry and you're thank you and, and you're welcome, I guess is what I'm <laughs> The information's there and it's there for a reason. And I want as many people to be able to take advantage of it as they possibly can so that hopefully they don't need to call me. Yeah. All right, Jay, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll have you back on to, to, to learn more about you, the, the, the man behind uh, the great work that you're doing. We didn't even get time to ask you about, you know, your financial philosophy and your, but this was, I think, really uh, incredibly helpful. And I hope we'll help at least a few people on the show listening. And um, again, consumerhelpcentral.com is the site. Thanks a lot, Jay. 
Thanks, Farnoosh. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Jay and his services, check out consumerhelpcentral.com. Jay is also on Twitter at Jay Fleischman. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. If you missed any of this, just head over to somoneypodcast.com. You can grab the audio, the transcript, the comments from this episode and all previous episodes. While you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question for the Friday episodes. I hope your Thursday evening is going to be a fun one. I know mine will. And see you right back here tomorrow for a fresh episode of Ask Farnoosh. Stay tuned and I hope your day is so money. So money.